Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Chris Ragg and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights, and this week we're discussing rivals. And due to the new lockdown, unusually, we're recording this remotely. Nick. I can't imagine you have too many rivals. Not me, no. Not me. People, people that bothered about you. States of America. No, I, I, um, uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I'll get on to me later on. Um, okay. Yeah, I was uh, doing. I've been. We're doing a project at the moment, looking at the Middle East, and um, uh, as part of this, is we're sort of trying to get a sense of you know from various countries of of who they get on with and whether or not relations change and um, and how you might measure that. And I was looking at. Um, the the favorability that americans have to other countries mm. and um they they you know they they the gallup gallup do a survey every year and uh uh it, there are you know there's this luckily we've got a bunch of our uh you know best uh we their, their best buds include us we're like number 2 in terms of mm. the countries they like Who's but like um, canadians yeah, Canadians are top, actually. Yeah. So yeah, not surprised. Everyone likes Canadians. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, except me. God, they're boring, aren't they? Anyway, uh, the, the um, uh, but it, it occurred to me looking at the countries nearer the bottom. You know, it, who obviously at the moment um include uh, include you know the likes of Afghanistan and Iran mm. and uh, mm. various other people they've got a bit of history with. Um, wh- whether it does uh. And, and 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 it's it's odd because the Americans often we share a lot of things, but I think you know thinking about Iran, the U.S. has got a particular like recent history with them, and mm. they they just seem very antipathetic um, mm. to the Iranians in a way that I think British people we don't really have. You know, we didn't mm. have the hostage crisis and and that kind of thing. And um, it it just occurred to me that I wonder if there's I wonder if it if it in some way does the Americans and the Iranians good to have each other as a kind of, you know, baddie. Um, and, uh, you know, you think back to, to the, to the, to the cold war and perhaps, you know, you might think of some of the technological advances that were made to try and keep ahead of each other. And obviously second world war, you know, the extraordinary amount of, uh, um, you know, of, of technological development we, we went through and yeah, you know, kind of, is it good? Is, is it somehow good? You know, or is it the case, you know, is it the case that it, it, without enemies, a, a society is going to decline? Is is the problem that recently that, the, you know, the U.S. hasn't had anyone to be any enemies with? And so it's had to become an enemy with itself. Who knows? Anyway, there's a few speculative thoughts. Yeah. OK. I mean, what's interesting, I thought we might be talking about this on a, on a personal level, which we might indeed do, because that's immediately what I think of. Um, but so far, all the examples you've given have been on a, on a national level or on a sort of a societal sort of level. Um, so let's let's see where we go. Chris, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, I think in many ways, you know, rivalry is 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 just the kind of personification of um, competition in a in a particular particular way. And if you look at, you know, so it's natural that nations, in order to sort of harness their their abilities um you know collectively focus on another nation as as a sort of motivating force and and you look throughout history and that has always been the case you know carthage and rome uh you know britain and france and as nick alluded to the the cold war you know the the kind of great rivalry that we 
we lived through this notion of of, um, of superpowers. And you know, there's a, there's a really good example of uh, that rivalry and the way it manifested itself. Uh, you know, there was the arms race, obviously, but you you also had the um, the space race, which which you know people um, talk about as you know arguably not you know the the amount of progress that was made in terms of space exploration during that that period uh and the amount of effort and money that was invested in it uh is 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 quite you know quite quite amazing you look at the um there's a really interesting uh declassified CIA report that you can you can find online that, that talks about that shows you estimates for uh well actual figures for US expenditure on space Mm. And estimates for Soviet spending during during that period, mm. and it kind of all kicks off in you know up to fifty seven really, where you know the 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 US uh, the the USSR are spending you know around about a quarter of a billion, and the Americans aren't really spending very much at all. And then you know through fifty seven, fifty eight, fifty nine, you know the Americans catch up and then start spending spending more. Um, mm. And by nineteen sixty four, the Americans are spending like six and a half billion dollars on uh on space exploration which if, if you look at um you know that's one percent of their gdp at that point that's more than they were spending i know the u.s doesn't have a a national health system like we do but that's more than they were spending on on healthcare uh mm. in that in that year um and then you look at so you say okay well well so they they're clearly their efforts in response to one another the, the the Soviet Union as well starts spending more so you can see this this rivalry develop and you look at the achievements during that time you know at fifty seven you've got you've got Sputnik and uh, Laker the dog uh, fifty eight the U S puts its satellites up um, sixty one the the U S puts a puts a chimp into space you know and uh, uh, Yuri Gagarin goes up the the same year. And then you know they're they're on the moon by by 1969, and that mm. that that effort that is is you know obviously um, you know you look back at the the sort of historical record and the interviews with you know like vox pops with with Americans on the street, and mm. you can see um, you know what is driving that effort is. Um, is is you know national rivalry on on a kind of global yeah, scale? It's mind blowing that it's taken us you know ten years to get a new PlayStation out, and and that's the same amount of time they went from basically nothing to walking on the moon. Yeah, yeah. no, it's it, it's it's incredible. Well, look, sorry to interrupt, but it, it, it sounds to me like what we're talking about here is this is just a natural extension um, of competition. It's just part of that. That's what happens, which you know is, is human nature, let's say. And the, also it can have um, benefits. And, and so, you know, progress, essentially what we're talking about here. Is that it? End of podcast? I mean, and, we, and I'm sorry, and also we need them for identity is, is part of it as well, whether it's be personal or, or, or national. Uh, Nick? Yeah, the, the the I think the the issue is that you, you know okay so just thinking about the difference between en enemies and rivals it feels a, and I think the space race is a great analogy mm -hmm. because with enemies it feels like there's a zero sum element you know you are actively trying to harm the other person um, mm. you're you're incurring a cost to harm them with mm. rivals you're both uh, investing in the same thing but you're not. You know, you're you're attempting to outdo them at something. 
I think very generally, and it's quite an abstract definition, but I think that's the, it's, it's, it's almost like, uh, you know, enemies are like a tug of war, whereas, whereas rivals are more like a race, you know, you're pointing in the same direction and just trying to do better than the other guy. Hmm. But I think from an economic point of view, the idea that rivalry is good for you is really odd. It's really weird because, um, if it were true that, you know, there was a situation where you'd do better if you had a rival, why wouldn't you just behave as though you actually did have a rival? Mm. Uh, I mean, uh, it, it, the, the you know, economic approach would probably be to say, well, the, the problem is that deep down that rivalry is uh, costly and it's inefficient. And, you know, it, all of the alleged benefits of the space race would have, you know, if they were actually beneficial in net terms, then then we should have been spending that money on the space race anyway. But if, yeah. in fact, it would have been better to, you know, give it to back to Americans uh, in the form of lower taxes or to spend that money on something else, some other big project, then the Americans should have done that. So I, I think that's the that's the weird thing that I think very often we're inclined to think that rivalry is good for us. It's good to be kept on your toes. Like, you know, imagine if you're competing with someone else for, you know, a the the uh, someone, you know, for, for a particular potential girlfriend or something. And so you both end up going to the gym that kind of feels like, well, you're both getting something out of that as well, you know, mm. and, 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 and rivalry is what makes sports people work hard, you know, and, and, and it feels like they gain from that process. Mm. Um, but so, so, you know, that, that's the, that's the, that's the, the puzzle I think is, is why, why we need a rival to do something that is good for us anyway. But hold, sorry, isn't it that this stuff is almost impossible to fake, right? Because um, for example, something you sometimes, I've, I've worked with large organizations and they talk about certain positions about having an entrepreneurial approach, right? Or a startup mentality. Mm. But it's, it's all bullshit because you can't fake that stuff. The fact is a big organization is a big organization. No matter how much it talks about those values, it's impossible to live them because a lot of those values, for example, are about not having a safety net. And, you know, and if it, it the stakes are too high when you're, a, when you really are a startup. So yeah. you, you just can't fake it. Um, that's my view, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think there are, there's, there's sort of three, three things that, that occur to me as we, as we're chatting there. Um, the, the first is, um, you know, the, the sort of how you define um, rivalry. And from a psychological point of view, the, the definition is that it's a sub subjective competition, competitive relationship um, that increases the psychological involvement of competitors mm. beyond the objective characteristics of the situation or what those objective characteristics would, would predict, right? So there's this element of you becoming more invested in this competition because there's a there's a sort of personal element to it i suppose you're motivated by that that personal uh, element and then i think that the sort of second thing is like you know so why why do you need a rival in order to do something and there's a, there's a great example um you know historically uh in the art world turner and, and constable you know, contemporaries oh. in, the, in the British art scene, no, you know, well-known known rivals. And there's, the, um, there's this story, whether, whether it's fully accurate or not, is lost in, in, in the mists of uh, time. But um, the, at the summer exhibition in, in 1832, um, they had paintings displayed next to one another. And oh. they were sort of put up on the wall 
And uh, these these paintings, they they had a little bit of time to come in and look at their paintings and just sort of you know finish touch them up, you know, put a final gloss on it or or, or whatever. And when Turner saw his um, uh, Helvoslus um, uh, painting next to next to um, Constables, which was which was much more colourful, the opening of Waterloo Bridge, it's this very sort of uh, ornate picture of uh, of you know. Um, uh, uh, I guess it's of the opening of Waterloo Bridge. It is of the opening of Waterloo Bridge, right? Uh, the, the clues in the name, um, but but the point is the scene it depicts is not really a bridge scene. It's a it's a scene of barges and so on, royal barges. And um, anyway, Turner saw this and was like, "Oh, mine looks a bit a bit dull," and and just blobbed this this red blob right in the centre of of his thing, which he subsequently um, turned into a boy. And it totally transformed a, 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 a boy in sense of the naval. Yes, uh, not, not a naval child. No. Yeah, um, <laughs> that would have been more dramatic. But you know, it, it transformed the picture. You know, drew the eye to the centre of the picture, and so on and so forth. And it's it's the only only it's like you at the point you were making, Fraser. Only at that point of concrete comparison, where you see yourself against your rival at that moment. That's that's the bit where you go, oh, I've got to do. A, I've got to do a bit more now. Got to step up here, um, yeah. yeah. I've got to step up and do something, and it and it creates those those additional things. Now the question is, are those things the right things to do? So in the case of the space race, Nick, you were saying, you know, if if those things had been sensible things to do, they would have rationally done them anyway, regardless of the the presence of a rival. And the question is, was the space race a decent that did it? You mm. know, was spending all that money on on it worthwhile? Mm. Well, well, I, I've got, a, I've got a kind of. I think there are some economic principles we can point to to help us think about that because I think it does depend on the, um, on the thing you're fighting over and the way that you're fighting it. But um, uh, I, I mean, just before we, before we do that, just a few studies into you know with a with a rivalry works. Yeah, I mean, obviously, arms races, um, you know. The, and the space race they're really good examples but it, it also you know it does it does uh improve it, it allegedly improves uh athletic performance um and um you know i think there's obvious examples like you look at the the difference between competitive markets versus monopolies and monopolies will often be you know in a, really not have any innovation at all mm. and um you know because because companies are more keen on preserving their monopoly status and they invest in that rather than investing in better products uh whereas if you have a competitive market you know people have much more of an incentive to try and go out and work for for the for their um you know for their money yeah um on the other hand you have bad rivalry and i i, I there's you know for example um one study into countries where there's more political rivalry where there's more of a kind of you know um dog eat dog political culture mm. um have uh, are th those countries are in uh, have well there's an inverse relationship between the rivalrousness of politics and you know kind of indicators of development in those countries um and similarly with you know with with things like arms races i mean i mean strictly just forget about the technological developments that might go with them but you know spending money on arms is money that could be spent on something else and it is obviously in net terms is inefficient and there is this sense that you know the rivalry might even if it's good for the rivals there might there are some instances where it's bad for other people for that rivalry to be to be taking place um Mm. Now, so I think so. I've been trying to sort of 
take all these things and come up with some general principles. And I think there's two things going on that might that might sort of help us think about good and bad rivalry and and sort of whether it makes whether it's good for the rivals whether it's bad for the rivals so the first thing is the um the type the thing you're competing over and the costs of investing in that thing uh and and you know so at the extreme you have these sort of um you know you've got a one big prize which only one person can get so not not like a market but more like a kind of gold medal or something you know where where you really it's winner takes all and um and and then you know how much it costs to it costs you personally to enter so now it, you know let's say a gold medal is worth is worth you know one point um you it, it, you can imagine a situation where people in a kind of tragedy of the commons all spend you know 0.9 points hundreds of people spend 0.9 points worth of effort trying to get that that gold and you've got you know you've got this one gold medal which someone's someone's acquired but so many people have wasted effort trying to achieve it and a lot of things are like that you know when we're competing over status there's only one person only one person can have that yeah um it's essentially the zero-sum nature of the prize you know does does the prize create do, do many people aiming for the same prize um you know is there some sense that that creates value yeah. so there's the, just the, the, arms, the arms race was good for the soviet uh, for, for the americans but bad for the soviets ultimately yeah well you well you, you could say it was good for the american arms industry yeah but the, but i think i think the argument would be it's it's negative for the americans because that that you can't arms only exist to try and win that race it's 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 a money that you've literally chucked down the drain you know you can't, you're not going to do anything with them um the other thing but i think the other key thing is whether there is there are externalities in the struggle. And I think this is where a lot of the positives come out from, from rivalries. Um, and, and, and that includes, so where, where people are not just investing in winning, right. But mm. where that, where that, the, the struggle itself create that investment is in something else, which is good. Um, and uh, so quite apart from whether it's good for the rivals, it creates, good things that other people can enjoy. And Chris's example of Turner and Constable is a perfect one where, you know, the fact that they were both competing with each other, they didn't care about creating, well, mm. obviously, but I mean, let's pretend that they didn't even care about making good paintings, but that was their way of beating each other. All they cared mm. about was getting the top spot of the Royal Academy, you know, mm. competition or something. They would nevertheless have squirted out these great artworks uh, as a means to doing that. So I think, and and I think a lot of the you know, certain that certainly applies to the technological spin-offs from from these kinds of things. You know, which 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 produce great, uh, you know, which can produce enormous amounts of, of side effect value that might you know when when even when you move away from thinking about the 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 rivalry and the the amount of resources people are investing in it are nevertheless producing spin-offs and you could say things like you know people enjoying watching sporting events for example yeah people just like watching them and you know things like the x factor you might say it's probably not worth people entering the x factor but people nevertheless enjoy watching it yeah um okay there's there's a question that i want to ask but before i do um and, and that question is to round things off but before i do is there anything um either of you wants to add to finish this off yeah i was just i was just going to sort of pick up on nick's nick's point about um, sport and you know the, the fact that it lends to the to the spectacle and yeah. the, you know what what we find most compelling in sport is those individual or long-standing team relationships and this is one of the things that has been observed about rivalry 
uh, is that it, it is inherently rational because it, it's affected by previous competitive in, interactions uh, and builds up over, over time. And that is a, a, a rational thing to do, to base your response to somebody else based on um, you know, their previous action. And it's, it's played out in, in lots of you know, examples within, within game theory that you know, previous performance in Prisoner's Dilemma affects you know, the playing of the game in, in the future and, uh, and so on. Um, mm. so yeah, and, and, you know, the, the sport is littered with, you know, McEnroe, Borg, uh, Hunt, Lauder, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, that there Steve, are all... the two Steves of, uh, of, of eighties athletics. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Mm. That had a good yeah, class, yeah. class element to it yeah, as well. No, that's right. And, and, and yeah, that's what you want, what you want from a rivalry, I think is, um, to, to make it a compelling rivalry is, is you've got to have, um, Equity, you know, they've got, mm. they've got to be reasonably or, or kind of very similar in, in standard. Uh, they, but, but as well, you know, as well as being locked in a high stakes competition and there being uncertainty about the outcome, you also want that contrast in styles or philosophy. You know, you want, you want the sort of uh, the artist, the, the Alain, you know, the, the, the kind of natural uh, gifted person versus the, you know, highly prepared um uh, sort of planned who puts lots of effort into that rocky, rocky four <laughs> rocky mm. bring it back to the cold war that's what contrast of style and that's what makes it it's like two extremes and really the best solution is probably in the middle but you want to see those two ex- extremes sort of slug it slug it out yeah yeah Absolutely. yeah and i think like, it's interesting you said i hadn't really thought about how um the heyday of a sport will often revolve around these personalities it's really interesting you should say that you know thinking about when you know formula one arguably that was that was the kind of the the nicky ladder and um uh and james hunt era was mm. you know a lot of people point to that as a kind of golden age and and as uh, you know snooker dennis taylor and uh, steve davis the greatest mm. sporting event of all time 1985 uh you know snooker uh, world final and yeah i i hadn't i hadn't considered that but but i Oh, so I had I just had one example, which was which was a technological one, which was a um, a guy called Alman Strauger, I think that's how you pronounce it, from Kansas, who um, who's uh, who got he was an undertaker, and um, the uh, the other undertaker in town. This is a bit like sponsor the, in its day. This this was in the in the late um, eighteen ninety or in the early eighteen nineties. So in its day, this was a bit like sponsoring Google Ads. The other undertaker had basically was sort of funding the uh, switchboard women to to funnel work his way, <laughs> and this Strauger got so fed up of that that he invented the the automatic telephone exchange, which you might see in many ways as the as the um, you know the progenitor of the internet. Um, we, you know, no, no. If there wasn't this rivalry between the undertakers, we might never have we might never have the internet. Yeah, I so, like that. I like that. Uh, and that leads us nicely on to the question I want to ask, which is I want to talk about um, your, f- I, I don't know if you're able to answer this, but if you can think of any personal um, favorite rivalries or enemies that you've had over the years. Chris, um, are we talking about an enemy or a rival or tell us, talk to us. Uh, yeah. So I think the the um, best example I can think of in my, in my life is a, s- a sporting one. Uh, and it relates to um, uh, a team we used to play regularly um who uh, i forget their actual name but we just knew them as uh, the romanians 
uh, and they were all sort of Romanian emigres, uh, right? Which was in sort of in London. And what was the we, sport? All sports. football. Sorry, or yes, football. football okay. Yeah. Um, and we we'd um, <clears throat> rugby we'd, football or association? Yes. Football. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So um, we we uh, we kind of um, basically been the best team in our league for for a uh, period of time. And this team was a new team. And the first season they turned up, uh, they beat us four one sort of comfortably and they were playing like a, a totally different type of football to we had been used to. And, um, and so th- from then on, and, and they were very, um, they were very sort of physical, uh, team, but highly skilled, much, you know, more highly skilled than we were. Hence the fact they, mm. they beat us. But from then on for about three years in a, in a row before their, their team sort of dis- disbanded, um, we would turn up and, uh, uh, we essentially worked out how to beat them over a, a so series of and a fly now and a training montage. Yeah, yeah, yeah quite exactly. And, and basically, what what we did, they had one one. Uh, I mean, they had all. They were all very good technical technical players. But the, the the guy in the sort of the centre midfield, to use a technical term, um, was was their player who made everything sort of work for them. And it was my job to effectively go and stand next to him for the whole game. And every time he got it. Either kick the ball or or him, or him. Uh, yeah. and every you know, and and uh, and he would just get more and more cross throughout the game, and it was really sort of satisfying knowing that he was actually better than me, but I was able to sort of cancel sabotage him out, him. Yeah. sabotage him exactly, uh, and that he would lose his his temper every every time as a as a result. So yeah, that's that's my um, my nice. tale of sporting rivalry. Yeah, no, I like that. A good tale of rivalry there, uh, Nick. Well, I'm not very good at this because I don't. I obviously one of the reasons I really don't like sort of playing competitive sports or indeed any sports, but is that is this whole idea that you have to sort of artificially generate this big desire to win? And I always that was always my problem at school. It was like, okay, well now we've randomly sorted you into two teams, and now it like like the uh, Zimbardo prison experiment. You know, you now have to kind of try and beat each other. And I was like, why? Like, I mean, I, I I've got no interest. Like, I gain nothing from from putting effort in to try and to try and win this match. And I've always seen it as a bit beneath my dignity, really, to to to, to, to engage try. in rivalry. <laughs> well, if you if you I think if you treat someone as you rival it's it, you are sort of saying that they're your equal and I, I feel like that's a bit undignified you yeah. know in, in many ways so i don't really i really struggle to Nick has with... so, no peers therefore he can't have a right exactly, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and i and i i, I know it, like when i was at school like we had these legacy houses right which were you know the kind of i i guess a leftover from a time they were essentially just the classes but they meant nothing it was just you were told you were you know you're in asquith house uh, this year and hey presto woo go ask with house woo we love them you know and um uh but also this rivalry between schools i also never really you know they, they the school wanted to foster this for all of the reasons we've been talking about and i remember once i, did, I used to do rowing and the, the one time we entered a rowing competition it was a massive uh race on the thames that with hundreds i mean i think there were about three or four hundred schools took part each of which had one boat and they kind of took off in sequence up the Thames. And, you know, we were kind of aiming to get the best time. And, um, and uh, we were just, we were like the Keystone cops on the water. It was just, you know, we would just not 
uh, kind of highly motivated, well-trained team. It was basically, you know, our weekly rowing sessions were, were sort of, you know, sploshing about a bit in the Thames. And eventually we came uh, fourth from last and uh, that is still, you know, higher up than I've ever come in any other rowing competition. Right. So, but no, I'm terrible at rivalry. I just, uh, it's draining and I can't Nick, be doing with it. Nick, I'm, I'm the total opposite of you. And I don't know if this is a surprise or not, but I am actually an incredibly competitive person. Um, and especially, you know, when it comes to sports and at school, less so these days, I was quite a sporty person. But um, but yeah, even and again, this will surprise you. Board games, I'm incredibly competitive. And well, I I'm do competitive get... in the game, but it, but that's it, right? Because right. that's you, you're supposed to try and win. Sure. So anyway, as a result of being quite a competitive person, I've generated all sorts of enemies throughout my life. I think, um, and all sorts of rivals. Or it could just be that I think they're my enemies and they're my rivals, and they just don't even notice me. Oh, um, particularly annoying. And yeah, just, I'm just annoying and rivalry, yeah. just a git. Yeah, but I remember, especially my big my sports at school was swimming, and I did indeed have a rival um, from another school, and also that school was our rival school as well, and his name was. You um, swallowed all this corporate nonsense about having to be rivalrous. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, was, he a, name, was he a chisel-jawed, six-foot kind of? He was. He was a bit know, podgy, a actually. He was oh, a bit okay. podgy, um, but very sporty at the same time. His name was Tim Bradbury, I believe, um, and he was a he was the best swimmer in my year at the other the school and i was the best swimmer in my year at my school and so yeah we were sort of knocking to each other every now and again at galas and things like that and um we was all we were, we were always very close um in in terms of positions and but um again a bit like chris's story is that you know there was some back and forth but by the end of it i was just beating him every single time and um so yeah, it was a rivalry that i quite enjoyed um yeah that's my rivalry story you distracted um, him with your speedos didn't you I did indeed. <laughs> and actually, even now, I think I, I, I stalk him every now and again and I look him up on LinkedIn and he's check still... out the size of his bulge, see if it's, <laughs> if it's got any smaller. <laughs> yeah, but what, what I'm really pleased about is that he's now lost all his hair, whereas I've got all mine still. So, you know, I feel really good about that. Um, so he's not podgy and, and you aren't either. <laughs> okay, right. Uh, let, let's finish there. I enjoyed that. Um, Thank you, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. I've been here with Nick Hare and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights. Until next time, goodbye. Mm-hmm.